0: Good morning, everybody. It's uh, actually afternoon, Christian Thwaites, Brad Janikowski. Welcome to our market update uh, webinar here on November the 10th, a week after the elections. So I know some of you are probably exhausted with uh, everything that we've been through in the last week. Um, So hopefully I'll be able to shed some light on what it means for uh, some of the capital markets and your investments. Uh, As always, I'll have probably uh, too many slides uh, and I'll try to kind of move them, and not get stuck on anyone for too long. Um, But if you have any questions, uh, there's a chat box at the bottom and we'll be monitoring it and I'll be able to see those and happy to answer questions uh, along the way or at the end. And uh, Carolyn O'Neill is kind of moderating things. so She's in the background um, and hopefully she'll keep me from uh, uh, straying way too too much off the brief. So, uh, yeah, well, we got through the election and um, as things stand this morning, um, obviously, the market perception broadly is that the election is settled, although, uh, you know, who knows? Um, there might be some more uh, legal um, conflagrations to come. Um, and, uh, but obviously not the clean sweep the market thought it was a couple of weeks ago. So that I think has tempered some of the enthusiasm about a, a big stimulus package. But generally I think the market is uh, is, is okay with this outcome. Uh, Having said that, if we do get a, a kind of a long, protracted legal uh, battle, then, um, then expect a kind of replay of what we saw in 2000, where we you know, had to wait, I think, until December the uh, 13th or something until that final Supreme Court decision came down, during which time the market went down 5%. But at the moment, we're, uh, you know, we're, in, we're in pretty good territory. So let me just start off by saying, kind of this is where we are in November. Uh, in November, labor market has been uh, incredibly slow to recover. Um, the non-farm payrolls number, which you saw on Friday, I'll talk about in a minute, but uh, they weren't quite as good as people are claiming. Uh, and what we're seeing is a bit of a replay of what we saw in 2008, with more people exiting the labour market where they're not counted, uh, as opposed to being you know, gainfully re-employed after being unemployed. Everything, I think, depends on the virus we're managing for now. Clearly, yesterday was a very big day, with the expectation that this Pfizer test I think this is the, uh, the differentiating factor there was that the FDA made a decision on a Sunday and they said that the number of test participants had moved from 32 to 64 and the, and the indications look pretty good. There are still a um, uh, couple of other uh, pharmaceutical companies with tests in, in similar stages. So I think yesterday's news was different from what we'd been seeing the last few months, which was somebody had a test and they were testing it and it looked okay. It seemed a little bit more robust and a little bit more grounded. Um, so I think that was genuine uh, cause for, uh, for optimism. The Fed is really the, the one where, we talked about this before, it's ex- expanded its role. Uh, some would say its mandate, but its mandate is, um, is still low inflation, full employment, um, and a, a kind of a tertiary one of maintaining good order in the capital and bond markets, which they've clearly been, been doing extremely well. Um, they did slightly change their, uh, some of their targets in, uh, in, in August, which we talked about last time, but the Fed is sort of there, uh, you know, ready, ready to help um, and, and push monetary stimulus as far as it's possible. Uh, Congress, um, we expected the expired benefits, that was the $600 um, additional unemployment benefit, which expired at the end of July, uh, and the various PPP loans, which expired about the same time to hurt the economy uh, a little bit more than it has. And so I would say that the, you know, the recovery has been pretty good in spite of those really not being replaced. Um, Now we've got a couple more programs which uh, the pandemic unemployment benefits, PUA, and another one, which is a a similar kind of extension program of unemployment benefits, which expired December 31st. Uh, So those are, you know, we're still on the cliff edge with those, but, a lot of the economy has done remarkably well, despite uh, despite being, um, uh, you know, having the expiry at the end of July. Um, I hope you can see my screen, okay? Uh, do, we do expect a stimulus, but uh, it probably the effects, even if it goes into action today, which is clearly not going to. But we're really looking at a at a low of 500 billion, which is what Mitch McConnell said that they would be contemplating, would think about, um, uh, and the two point something trillion coming from uh, the Democrats in the House uh, and then the White House, who knows where they were, the somewhere in the middle when they were paying attention to it. Um, but uh, I think the number is going to be bigger than 500, less than two trillion. Uh, but I think the important thing is not just what it's going to look like, um, but whenever it comes, even if it comes in the lame duck session, which is unlikely, um, it's not going to start hitting the economy till fe- February of 2022. But when it does, it'll be big. Uh, we, we've seen the recent improvements in the economy uh, uh, they're real, but they're slow. You know, housing is doing well. Autos are doing well. We expect housing to roll over a little bit just because I think you know, supply, demand has got a little ahead of supply. Uh, retail sales have been fairly robust, although it's kind of shifted, of course, the patterns of retail sales from, um, you know, store to online and, and a lot of other shifts like, uh, you know, um, food at home versus food away from home um but generally retail sales have held up pretty well we've seen some kick up in capital expenditure manufacturing there was some decent ism numbers last monday which were indication of a, of a of a better trend a trade is a bit of a mess uh, just because um the way the us economy is recovering right now is we're sucking in imports um the you know what the us exports well big manufacturing equipment aircraft that kind of stuff are all so still in the doldrums uh, and we have a surplus in services generally. Um, but the kind of things that we're buying right now as an economy tend to be a lot of technic- uh, electronic goods and consumer goods. And those are long since uh, not been manufactured to any great extent in the United States. So we've seen the trade deficit tick up, which we kind of expected it, it, it to. Um, and obviously all of the agreements that were put in place at the beginning of the year, basically, uh, you know null and void at this point. Um, you know, China is simply not able to buy the uh, level of agricultural products which it said it would. Um and um I, th- I think just uh, just generally, you know, US export markets are are still uh, fairly fairly weak. So trade will be a, a, a net drag, but it won't really matter that much because we're you know especially in the third quarter, um the, the GDP number was so big that the trade drag wasn't that significant. Uh, Obviously, we're going through a a period of uh, deficit spending. I mean, the the deficit has increased, you know, the outstanding deficit, the percentage of GDP. I don't think it's a source of worry. Uh, You know, someone I know made a good analogy. It's like right now we have an issue where we've got to put out out the house which is on fire. We shouldn't be worrying about the water damage quite yet. Uh, That comes later. Uh, And the U.S. economy is, uh, you know, needs a lot of help in order to... um, in order to, uh, you know, get get out of the uh, out of the recession it's been in, and that's going to be the source of uh, of deficit spending, but as a source of um, you know worry in the future and crowding out the markets and in inflationary and uh, you, know, it's, you know every child owns 70, 90, 150,000, whatever the scary number it is that gets put out, there is not a source of worry to the capital markets. I think or to the economy. I think it's going to take a long time for GDP output to get back to anything like the level it was. Uh, I put 2021, even that's a bit optimistic. Um, what we saw in the GFC was, you know, a trend line that just took a big dump down. And then it kind of went off at the same angle, but it was permanently below what the trend line had been. And now I've just seen another one. So uh, I think it's going to take a long time to, you know, cross over, you um, and we'd we'll just be operating at uh, at a at a lower capacity than we are for than we ha- than we were for quite some time. Uh, the unemployment number, the real one to look at, is this U six, which is the underemployment number. I don't think it's about twelve percent right now. I'd be surprised if it gets much below ten percent. It really is a question of, you know, what kind of jobs come back, and then how many people take themselves out of the labour market. I think risk assets will probably do well post election. Obviously, they've done. Very well. The last uh, day or two, um, you know, yesterday was a was a strong day. Last week was, uh, you know, I think five or six uh, successive strong days. First time that's happened, and only twelve times happened in the last 30, 40 years. So we've seen definitely a kind of a relief rally, and I think risk assets will continue to do well. Um, there's still uh, a lot of a lot of parts of the market which ha- which haven't um, haven't haven't been. Uh, as strong as a kind of a narrow, more concentrated part of the market over the last uh, six months. I think they'll do quite well. Post-election concerns. I, I mean, I'm a little bit of a, at a guess. You know, we we don't know. I mean, Mike Pompeo is something weird this morning, uh, which uh, which would suggest that they're going to cause a problem. But uh, I don't know. I'm not a constitutional lawyer, uh, mercifully, because I would be a very bad one. But, um, but I, I think... Uh, I, I think most of these will peter themselves out over the next, um, over the next few, few weeks uh, and months. We'll see, but um, it's probably not going to be the smoothest and friendliest transition we've ever seen. Um, I would sort of kind of throw this up just as a source of, uh, look, we've had big corrections before. The, the 2021 down here at 33% was pretty big. Um, six months later, we're up 52%. This is kind of what tends to happen when you have a big drawdown. Uh, you, get a, you, know, you get a pretty good return. 2000 and 2002 was less of one just because we were dealing with a you know, almighty financial overhang from the tech bubble. Uh, 2000, 2007 and 2009 was actually, um, you know, took a while to get back. Uh, we had a you know, year and, and three years later where we took a while to get back from that peak. But so far, we've done very well on this one. And I'd say this tends to be the pattern where we get some good returns, you know, three, definitely three and five years later. I kind of put this a little bit of facetiously, but uh, and I put it in the blog last week. But really, it's very difficult to, uh, you know, see any material pattern of stock market returns depending on who's in the White House, what party's in the White House. Um, you know, presidents claim also success for the economy and for the stock market, some more than others. But uh, but I think generally the market and the stock uh, and go go along. Uh, you know, bowing to bigger forces than just what's uh, what's in the White House. I mean, and really where you do see bad, uh, you know, stock market returns in administration like Bush, you have to say, well, look, there was just a heck of a lot going on there. Um, not just the uh, the recovery from the tech crisis, but, um, you know, the beginnings of the of the great financial crisis, you know, which weren't neither of which were really a result of uh, of. Um, administration policies. So uh, I'm not a big fan of looking for patterns in these. You can have another one here which says, well, here we go. here's the returns uh, under Obama, 53 and 84 and then Bush we had two negative years. But uh, if you try to draw a pattern here between um, you know who, who they were and what their policies were, you'll be had a tough time. And it's the same with if you kind of go on the same numbers and say, well let's look at a split Congress. With a republican president look like a split congress with a democratic president let's look at a unified government of the republicans uh, i mean um yeah i suppose you could say well you know just fortuitously a uh, split congress with a democratic president is 14 but if you take out obama and and clinton the numbers shift down quite a bit um and then uh, you know a united government um all all Republicans seems to be pretty good, but then yeah, that's, a lot of that's Reagan. Um, so uh, you'll see a lot of these charts. And and the other thing I would cut to remind myself is that we're only talking about returns since 1945, and there's aren't there aren't, there aren't a lot of data points you've had. Whatever it is, uh, you know, 20 presidents since then, something like that. But anyway, you know, you're not talking a lot uh, a lot of different you know data points, which is which would say, well, here's a robust model, and if you get this type of government in place, you'll get this kind of return. So I tend to kind of view all these as with a bit of a grain of salt. Um, and I think it's much more important what the broader economic policies and conditions are in place. But we do have to contend with the fact that this is what we're living with in the COVID world. And um, you know, you've know, you probably seen this as a log scale. So United States, um, you know, very much in that second wave, here's the first one, here's the second one, and here's the third one. Um, you know, inching up. Uh, Europe, which was seen to be doing so well, you know is now um, uh, just, you know, on, a, on, on an uptick that, and maybe that's weather related and maybe that's just some shift in changes from one part of the European Union to another. But clearly no one's really got the handle on on being able to contain this. Uh, some Asian economies have uh, very well, uh, you know, uh, Taiwan and South Korea are outstanding. Uh, standouts, but uh, certainly where we're talking about the economic powerhouses, this is really what we're dealing with, which is uh, which is another you know, set of pretty big cases. Um, let's have a look. Here we go. And uh, Mr. One, okay. Um, yeah, I talked about this the other day in the uh, in the in the blog, and this this is just what. This what I'm more concerned about. is not so much shutdowns and rolling shutdowns. I think we're gonna see plenty of those. Uh, some will be more extreme than others. Some will be by town, by state, by locale, by county. Similar to what we're, we're seeing around here. Um, but I think generally, wh- whatever the government mandates are, there'll still be a reluctance to conjoin and, uh, and accumulate and crowd together in, in events. Now this could be sporting events, outside events, you know, colleges, restaurants, all these kind of things, which people are going to say, well, hang on, regardless of what the actual legislative requirement is around here. Um, I don't want to do that and expose myself and my family. And uh, I think, you know, people are, are naturally and should be scared of, of spreader events. So yeah, if you pick a map of the United States and roughly put the, your finger around the middle of it, you'll find Sturgis and that's, it, it is, there it is right there in uh, South Dakota, it's a population of 6,000, but every year it has a motorcycle Rally, which um, which attracts about half a million people, um, and obviously half a million people can't fit into a town of six thousand without being in extremely close proximity. Um, there were no masks, there were no regulations, there were no uh, uh, social distancing. There were, you know, other than a few signs outside of town saying uh, be, "Be careful." Uh, this people came from sixty-one uh, percent of the United States counties. Uh, and if you kind of look where, uh, you know, what the contiguous stakes were, and then um, what happened next was, well, you know, they, no surprise, he saw, saw a huge spike uh, in cases. Um, this has been pretty well documented, although some people still um, dispute the findings of the various different studies on it. But to me, it's not a question of whether Sturgis was right to be held, probably wasn't, <laughs> but uh you know, it's certainly caused a huge spike in in, in cases all around them, and uh, you know, places like Wisconsin are, you know, really suffering quite badly. It's got a much bigger population, of course, in either of these two states. Um, but I think the point that I take away from this is, look, people just don't are not are not going to be comfortable, you know, being together and and, and uh, you know, crowding around each other. One, um, my, here we go. I have to rather, uh, if it looks like I'm unsure changing the slides, because I am. Um, So the Federal Reserve, we kind of mentioned as being the uh, major uh, game in town. You can see that right out of the gate in the crisis, they bought uh, everything they could. uh, And they were really sort of being a backstop to all of the bond uh, treasury markets, mortgage backed security markets. You know, what they didn't want was to have a kind of liquidity crisis on their hands at the same time as a potential financial crisis. So uh, they moved in very, very sharpishly, basically using the same tools as they did back in uh, in 09 and 10, except very much putting them in the fast lane. So this is the, uh, the, the the Fed balance sheet excludes some parts of it. It just included the mortgage backed securities and the treasuries to so six and a half trillion. And you can see it's just been edging up. The Fed is on a program of about one hundred and twenty billion dollars a month. Uh, 80 in treasuries, 40 in in uh, in mortgage back. You can see the rate of change has begun to diminish on a weekly basis. It was growing at some astronomical rate, you know, 500%. Now it's sort of down uh, at about 21% on an on an annual basis. I don't think it's going to continue at that rate. It'll, but it'll stay high and probably edge a little, little higher. You'll see this kind of slope um, kind of level off. But the the point about it is the Fed is is ensuring that the rates stay low pretty much across the curve. So that's why we're really not expecting much to happen in the way of, uh, of rate changes all the way from um, short-term money market rates, three-month bills, all the way out to uh, certainly the 10-year, the 20 and 30-year might move up a little bit more just because the supply-demand equation is out of balance a little bit out there. Uh, but we're not expecting any uptick in rates and, and therefore bond concerns. I think I mentioned this last time, but it's well worth reiterating again. When the Fed came out at the end of August in the remote version of the um, uh, St. Louis Fed's annual sort of get together at Jackson Hole, uh, they basically said, look, we're not going to think about, think about, think about changing rates until we see unemployment at 4.1% and and inflation at 2. I'm not quite sure why they chose 4.1%. I think it was just because it was just an an average of the different um, uh, uh, outlooks forecast by the uh, Fed. Uh, committee members, but you can see that if you kind of take it at that at face value, and I don't think we should be, you know, taking the Fed at any other value right now. Uh, that doesn't happen very often, where you've got four percent unemployment. Here's the blue line hitting this um, uh, CPI number um, at at two percent, and uh, we'll get a CPI number um, Thursday, and I don't expect it to move very much here. It might move up on a core basis, but this is. Uh, uh, this is this is, this is is broad CPI, and uh, and it's very difficult to see that move uh, very much. So, again, it's just really saying this doesn't happen very often. It's happened four times since 1952. So, uh, you know, the Fed is giving itself a lot of leeway to keep rates low. We've seen some uptick in rates recently. It's, you can kind of see it over here, you know, the 1.75 on the 30-year. The 10-year last time we talked was about 70 basis points. Now it's 95. Um I read some of that as to being a reflation trade that people think that there's going to be a little bit more growth, which is good. Maybe a little bit more inflation between very, very small changes here. uh, And maybe some upward pressure on rates. But I think, um, again, the Fed will probably come in uh, buying uh, the 10 year if they have to. They're not right now. It doesn't seem in very big sizes in order to kind of keep that from, you know, getting too out of hand. You can see at the bottom there, that two year bond market, two year bills um, are really, uh, you know, just flatline uh, and they're going to be and they're going to price much uh, much closer to the federal funds rate federal funds rates is zero effectively um, so this is you know 18 basis points and that's been flat and we expect that to pretty much stay there um, we should probably mention the deficit just because it gets a lot of airtime and you know the uh, um, I'll be frank you know Republicans are very kind of financially conservative when it suits them and and a bit more profligate when it when it doesn't, or the other way around, but right now they're going to start talking about the deficit again. Um, I don't know why it's coming on to me. Um, let me turn that off. Um, so uh, uh, I I really don't think this is an issue. It looks it looks like the the deficit this year will come out about sixteen percent, which sounds pretty scary. Yes, it is. It's twice what we were in the in the uh, uh, global f- uh, financial crisis. But uh, as I said, we 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 can afford it. Um, the the economy really needs to get going, so that's uh, that's that's important that we kind of you know not not lose sight of that. Sorry, my phone is going crackers here. Um, next year, these are the estimates uh, for you know a, a much lower number. It's going to take some time before we kind of get back to these levels. Notice that the deficit was already creeping up, even though the economy was in pretty good shape. And this is all due 18 and 19 was all due to the, uh, uh, the tax cuts by the, the 2018, affected 2018 tax cuts. That was the cut in corporation tax um, and some of the other personal tax cuts came through. So this, we were already heading down in that direction. And obviously now uh, with revenues being way down, um, tax collection revenues being, being way down, we're, we're heading into a higher deficit. But as I said, I don't think this is a source of worry right now. Another reason is that um, the treasury has, uh, has been amassing an awful lot of money in their daily account. This is the daily treasury account. This is where the treasury pays its bills. So you know, pays social security out of here, pays the military, pays all its bills on a daily basis. And you can see that number literally printed every day. Um, and they normally they're at about 400 billion. You kind of put this number back and it's, it's pretty low. Uh, they've been amassing a huge amount of money into the daily treasury account. Some of this is because they're getting money back from the Fed for the QE buying. But also a lot of it is because the CARES Act had a huge stimulus. A lot of it hasn't been used, which sounds crazy. I know, but you know, but you know, the PPP loans, yes, they went away. But a lot of the and the supplemental uh, insurance, and that, but it was a pretty big uh, uh, package. And a lot of the uh, numbers, which which ended up in the various different uh, um, departments of of the government, just haven't, haven't haven't been spread haven't been spent. So, and I see this as a as a good sign that. Um, you know, the treasury won't be sort of, you know, running out of money any soon or, you know, having to make, uh, you know, panicked um, treasury debt sales. So, uh, which would affect the bond markets. So there's still a lot of, you know, firepower that the, uh, the treasury has before they have to worry about, you know, borrowing more. Um, this is basically just the yield curve I- inversion. The lower the number is, is usually kind of pre-recessionary. Uh, is the difference between 10 year rates and the federal fund rate. It's crept up a little bit, which is a good sign. You know, down here, it kind of means that the economy is really having a tough time. Um, so we've seen a little bit of an increase recently. Uh, it, you know, that's generally a sign that, you know, maybe the, the economy is sort of moving in, in a slightly better direction. Um, and it, because it basically means that long-term rates are edging up a little bit, but it's, it's still, you know, very much in the controllable space. Yeah, my uh, big concern is the watching the labour market. It has uh, come back, but um, it has come back very, very slowly. I mean, um, we saw this huge spike in claims right out of the gate. You know, these unbelievably high numbers. Remember, be- before this, the record uh, weekly claim was six hundred and thirty thousand. That happened in about. Uh, for one month in 2009, and it happened once back in 81, uh, which was actually worse because the the labor market was quite a bit smaller than that. And so we've come down from 6.5 million, you know, mercifully, where these numbers were just really shocking with people just being laid off left, right, and center. And then this is a log graph, so I apologize for that, otherwise it would look very weird. But you'll kind of see that, you know, the improvement has, uh, I think, you know, a fairer point would be has been, you know, the, the rate of improvement has been has been slowing and so we've been stuck at the round of 750 line for a while now there's some weird things going on in claims right now because it used to be a simple i go to my local unemployment office i file for a claim and it's approved you know a week or two later with these other different programs there are people switching from different types of programs and into programs and if they were they might have also been some double counting of people who went back to work at the beginning at the end of the second wave and then Got laid off again as we go into the third wave. So, but anyway, the point is that the claims numbers should be, you know, should be heading lower, and uh, and they're still not, and there's still um, 25 million people on some sort of benefit. So it's a very slow market. This is the uh, the the number that came out on Friday, where uh, a couple of the commentators were talking about this great job growth. Well, again, you know, round about here we lost 22 million jobs. If you add all these together. You've had you know, seven hundred thousand, a couple of around about five or six hundred thousand. Uh, you've only made back about ten million of these. Um, I think next months are going to be uh, n- even below this number, and part of that is because we're seeing we're seeing the end of all the census hiring. The census c- has uh, had hires people to do the census, and the number goes from very some very small number of people who run it in the census to you know, 60,000, 80,000. And at the peak there's about 220,000 people working for the Census Bureau. Now that the census is all finished and those numbers are reversing off. For some bizarre reason, these end up not being classified as temporary jobs, but as permanent jobs in the government. So we know that this census hiring has been, you know, is, is coming off the gas a little bit. And there's other indications that the that labor market might be, you know, weak for the next month or so. This is this 12.1% unemployment. I kind of ignore this one. Because this is the one where people, I, uh, you know, misclassify themselves, um, and this is the one which I think is more accurately talks about the slack in the labour market. Basically, you won't get any inflation while this number is up at these levels. Um, even down here, when it was you know, five and six percent, we were having a hard time with inflation. So you're certainly not going to get any kind of wage push inflation uh, with with 12 percent of the labour force being underemployed. This is always a nervous one. This is basically where, you know, job loss is going from temporary to permanent. And as I've said before, this is really about an office closes down, a plant closes down, a business closes down, and the people are, you know, not going to be able to come back. The workforce is gone or that position is gone. And, uh, you know, there's been some, you know, a flurry of layoffs announced by S&P 500 companies. Um, uh, Some of them obviously temporary, like the hotels and the theme parks and the airlines, some of them are going to be more permanent. And we've seen some of those, uh, you know, mid-office type of um, of jobs be, uh, be be announced as part of a permanent layoff scheme. But this is, again, you've got to watch because it, it accelerated very high and it took us a long time to get back to normalcy. In fact, I sort of even contend that we never really did get back to normalcy. So in prior recessions, this number is, is you know, kind of take it way back you uh, know, kind of pops up and then it recovers. But we've had this big spike and now we're in the middle of another one. So we got to look at uh, that one, make sure that one doesn't uh, go too high. This is the, uh, uh, the economy. Uh, this is the kind of printed headline GDP number that I mentioned before. It's the way we talk about GDP in the US is kind of makes sense. Except It doesn't make sense when you get numbers like this because what we look at is we look at the annualized numbers of the annualized GDP numbers. So we look, we measure the, all of the GDP measured in a quarter and multiply it by four. And then we say how much did that change from the last prior quarter on an annual basis? Um, so, you know, if I haven't tied your heads too round, uh, too much round in knots in that, it basically makes the numbers look <clears throat> pretty good and it, but it also tends to exaggerate small, you know, small changes, but kind of to keep with this kind of nomenclature, we had a 5% decline in GDP analyzed in the, um, in the first quarter roughly equal to about, you know, one and a half percent year-over-year this big 31 percent decline uh in the second quarter and then this big headline grabbing 33 but as you know all know from asymmetric returns in the investment market you have a 31 percent decline you need a heck of a lot more to get back to base level uh, than the 33 percent gain. so this is kind of uh it's heading in the right direction this is the 4.6 cents estimate that's coming in for the fourth quarter although it might be end up being a little bit lower than that this is really what's going on. This kind of takes what the U.S. GDP is in dollar numbers and printed over a capath- cap- uh, per, cap- per capita basis, and there you can see that yeah, we were down on a year-on-year basis, measured with you know, GDP per capita divided by the number of people in the country, it was down you know very nearly 10 percent in the second quarter. It was down 3 percent. It's going to be down again. So uh, these numbers, you go way back, and um, there's nothing like them. So um, So you know, big hole that we're digging ourselves out of. This is also a little bit encouraging. Now I wasn't able to say that a month ago because uh, the participation rate, people taking themselves out of the labour market, was running very high. Um, It's ticked up a little bit um, in all classifications. So here we put people in the here people in the twenty five to thirty four group. You know, took them. So these aren't the unemployed. These are people who just said, "I'm not going to be working anymore." Uh, I mean. Probably because they couldn't find anything, so they classified themselves as not looking for work, and that that came down. But that's ticked up. That's going to be at the highest participation. And then the uh, um, the the next one is the uh, is is this bottom one is at eighty percent. That's the uh, forty-five to fifty-four, and this one is the retirees. This is essentially the uh, f- um, the, the fifty-five and over. Um, not all retirees, of course, but obviously this uh, this this number um, was was the only one that actually increased uh, from the 2000 GFC uh, base, and it's not fallen as much. And we kind of know that, that, uh, you know, the average age of someone who tends a bar is about 30 years old. They, the the um, the shutdowns and everything affected a lot of service industries. Boom, it affected a lot of, you know, younger people and, and lower paid people. We kind of know that, that that trend's been in place. But the good thing is here, what we've seen a little bit of an uptick is a little bit of a you know, jump back in the last quarter, and we really want to make sure that people don't take themselves out of the labour market for for too a periods because uh, they become difficult to reemploy, or rather, employers are reluctant to to employ people who they feel their skills have atrophied. So we want to make sure that the uh, participation stays up. Um, I'll skip over that; it's pretty much the same story. This is uh, this is interesting. This is um, all of the money that that was given out. In extra unemployment benefits essentially found its way into savings. Uh, a lot of it just wasn't spent. A lot of people might have felt that they had to save because nothing little precarious about the future or they got the money and they had nowhere to spend it. Um, so, but the upshot of it is that we have an awful lot of excess savings in the system right now. Uh, this is, you know, $1.1 trillion worth of savings. Uh, um, This is just sitting in bank accounts. There's other sources of savings as well, although those numbers are probably not as dramatic as this. Checking deposits, by the way, have a similar sort of line, but this is just the um, savings deposit. But uh, yeah, there they are at 55% of GDP. I mean, they never usually get to anything like that. So this is good because um, it it means that there's potentially a lot of spending power in the economy. If, If things come back and if people feel that there's more confidence, this is equivalent to about three or four months worth of retail sales. Um, and it doesn't mean they're all going to go about buy retail stuff because they've got, to, you know, got other things like you know, housing and transport and stuff to, to buy as well. But it does tell you that the savings rate has climbed and it's stayed pretty high, and there's potentially an awful lot of spending that could come back into the, into the market at very short notice, and that's, that is unequivocally a good thing. Uh, one of the major things about this uh, uh, recession is that people are not highly indebted um so um this has not been caused by people having uh very high mortgages and not being able to pay them and you know very bad mortgage to loan ratios so they kind of throw the keys away because it's what they owe is worth more than the house value of the house this is not because people have run up massive credit card and other consumer loans auto loans other types of revolving credit and are now in trouble including student loans uh this is this is all about the um the supply side being taken away, so, so the consumer is actually in relatively good shape financially, they're not sort of being you know, he- heavily indebted and, and worried about their borrowings. And this kind of shows how much they've been able to amass in the last uh, month or two, three months. Um, this is kind of tried a snapshot of what's going on in the small business market. This is a home base, I borrowed this slide from one of our vendors, but um, this is I don't know if you've heard of Homebase, I hadn't, it's <laughs> relatively a new company but they basically do the payroll um, and hours clocked and for uh, small businesses. And you're talking, you know, very small business. It might be landscape, might be you know, uh, laundries, it might be you know, bars, hotels, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, and it's not seasonally adjusted, which is why this number you know, looks so aggressively up and down. But if you kind of take the seven day moving average, um, we were down about uh, at the peak about 22% Uh, then it got slightly better we were down 20 percent from january and it's kind of slipped off again and i think this is all to do with what's going on primarily in the midwest and the various different you know closings that we've had but it's not a great indicator which is why we see that in in the sense that if this persists then you're not going to see a big uh improvement in payrolls uh or indeed sort of economic activity over the next month or two this is I think a reflection of people saying, you know, we we tried, but we're 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 not we're not able to stay open as much as we were uh, as we had hoped. These are some other indications; they all tell the same story, which is that over here on hotel occupancy, it's flatlined. Here it is on uh, uh, open table data; it's essentially flatlined in these different metropolitan areas. And here it is on commercial flights uh, as a percentage of um, uh, of what it was in 2019 that's the top line here we are kind of floating at this bottom line here you know, pretty flat so yeah we've had the recovery uh it's as we mentioned it's snoffy shaped uh, i don't know what shape it is but it's kind of like a, a, a u with a with a within a flat uh, then a you know, out of the trough but sort of at a lower level than we were and all these numbers sort of point to roughly the same sort of outcome uh, we've talked about that. This is just just um, the, the the consumers um, not wanting to take on a lot of debt, which is good. Consumer confidence is off its uh, off its lows. So this is the the broad blue line, blue bars of the you know obviously the, the virus hit and people's confidence took a you know an almighty hit. Um, but at least they bought they come off the bottom here. Uh, the younger people took a bigger hit they were more confident going in and they're less confident right now um, and that again very much makes sense with the types of businesses and the, the level of employees that have got impacted the most by the covid uh, shutdowns and recession uh, the, the under 35s are, are in pretty bad shape over 55s uh, in a, especially people who've got savings accounts and 401ks generally tend to feel a little bit better about uh, about their um, about their future, but this number has been—you know—they've all had a little bit of an improvement, uh, which is good, um, and we expect that to kind of continue to just improve marginally. Take a while before it gets back to this level, but it's it's slightly better than it than it was at the bottom. Uh, we've also talked about this. The uh, um, normally in normal normal session these days, but normally you'll see things like house purchases and and uh, car uh, purchases take an almighty dive, but Not so in this case, they took the dive, uh, but now they've come back with a vengeance. Um, And this is uh, people who, again, the average, um, I mentioned this before, the average um, car buyer is 53 years old. The average house buyer is about 47, 48. It's not first time car buyers or first time house buyers, but they're quite a bit older than the average person who lost their job. So they've got some discretionary income. We know that because we saw all the savings there. And these are people who might have an extra uh, person living at home. They need an extra set of wheels or they um, you know might have commuted um, by public transport before and now certainly don't want to go there. Um, and also I think the level of, you know, the, the level of trucks to autos has come up again. I wouldn't read, I, it's difficult to read too much of that because when you, the trucks doesn't mean um, everyone's buying a Ford 150 or a Dodge 1500. Uh, a truck, a, a Porsche Cayenne is considered a, a, a truck, you know, just because if it's got you know, certain types of tinted windows and is on a truck chassis. Um, you know, all those BMWs you know, hatchbacks are basically our uh, um, trucks. But basically, it's a trend towards bigger cars uh, and bigger vehicles, um, either for space reasons or because they just seem to be better better value. But uh, but anyway, the you kind of put the two together and you can see that ah, that's that's true. What's that? Call that a recession? Not very much. It's uh, you know, it's taken a big dip down where everything closed down, but it's come back uh, pretty well. Same with houses, there are different ways of measuring houses, you know, new home sales, existing home sales, um, pending, but uh, they've come back very, very well. And even though it was a little bit of a dip last month, um, you know, we've been building about 1.4 million houses and multifamily units uh, um, a year for about the last, you know, an annualized basis for the last um, few months. And about 950,000 of those are being sold. So that's quite an uptick. And obviously, you know, it was a slow, slow, you know, comeback improvement from the, from the depths of the GFC and then starting this big spike. And again, I think that's a lot of people, there are people moving, you know, out of the cities. I don't think it's quite as big as people think it is, but, you know, people moving to different size houses or trading up or realizing that they, you know, might need more space than they thought they wanted to. And of course, mortgages are incredibly low. You can sort of get a, uh, i'm not uh, i don't want get three percent 30-year mortgage but pretty close to it and um in some parts of the country particularly in the south southeast uh you know uh, you can get a perfectly good house the median price in the southeast for a new house is only about i say only three hundred thousand. 000 you buy you a uh, buy you a cupboard in in, uh, in the bay area but you know but but nationally the um uh the there's some very good sort of house bargains to be had, especially given at these rates of borrowing. So that's, those have both been very important parts of the economy. So the S&P, well, uh, we didn't quite make it to another uh, um, uh, record close, but whew, we're very close to it. Essentially, we've been in a sideways market. I would call this a sideways market for the last couple of months. Uh, There's been some nasty sort of corrections and back up again, but it's kind of typical of what you see at times, like I'm showing different places here where, uh, you know, there isn't a big, necessarily big uptick in up breadth in change in the entire market, but you get some pockets of which we're doing very well. Um, I'm very encouraged to see this number $59 that that's dividends on on the S&P. And remember that 180 or so companies out of the S&P 500 don't even pay dividends. So, you know, this is a smaller base uh, and they've been they, they have cut them um short from a level of about 62 63 um but that's that's pretty modest given you know given how cash trap companies were or feared they were going to be just a few months ago earnings are definitely off their peak but again this number is better than it was when we met a month ago um i think it was about 122 then so it's about 123 now yeah peak earnings we know were up here at about 145, um, but this is generally getting better. It's kind of like I remind myself that you know earnings and dividends. This is the dividend line, nice and straight. This is the uh, earnings line. You know, There's some squiggles and, and ups and downs, but it, the 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 price of stocks goes all over the place. But that's just that's a lot of that's driven by um, nervousness and and you know concerns, which are really nothing to do about you know underlying earnings and so on. So. Um, yeah, we've had a very nice return from the depths of the market uh, and generally, you know, earnings have, have, have stabilized quite well. <clears throat> it's been a mega cap story. This is the top five. You know, this is the uh, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Amazon guys. So if you kind of went into them in the beginning of the year, <clears throat> you're up 48 percent and the S&P are up as of yesterday up uh um, S&P 100 up, which includes these guys, up about 11%, and the S&P 500 up about 9%. Um, that's closed a little bit, um, just because the last day or two, where you know other parts of the market have rallied a bit. But I really draw attention to the bottom ones, which is that we're beginning to see smaller mid-cap come. I mean, uh, they took a dive like everybody else, not as much as the large as the top five, not as much as the big caps, and they've slowly come. There- Wound their way through and this recent uptick has been uh you know the last couple of days we've seen this move from tech companies to small companies we've also seen a little bit of a rotation from growth to value and also um uh you know market cap to equal cap weighted uh stock so things have certainly you know taken a change whether or not there's a this is a big systematic secular change i kind of doubt it but um, but certainly, uh, it's encouraging to see the small cap revival. This is the large. This is the um, uh, equal weight versus the capitalization weight. We use this one. Most people use this one. One hundred thirty-two up thirty-two uh, percent since um, being in twenty nineteen. Uh, and this is the another way to think about. It, this is the this is the median price of all of the S and P five hundred stocks, not the average price of the capitalization weighted guys, because this is where five stocks make 25% of the market this is where every single stock only represents 0.2% so 0.2% times 500 gets you to 100 so this this normally does uh, a little bit better than the market cap weighted and it but it hasn't you know certainly you can see the big discrepancy right here but recently it's come along which is good because that means you think you're seeing more people saying it's maybe not just a tech story uh, you know, maybe there's something there for energy and financials. Maybe there's something there for industrials and materials and these other cyclicals to stock. So a little bit of a more broad based market. Um, energy financials are just, uh, th- this is what I've taken is um, uh, financials and energy is blue line, and this is the uh, tech and it's the um, consumer, it's the um, communication services. So um, this is kind of, you know, the the, the tech energy uh bank you know split apart and it's come in totally different directions but but again that's come back a little bit uh recently i mean you kind of have to squint to see it but down here this this number is uh, you know come up uh, a lot better again i don't know if that's going to you know cross over and it's going to be an energy uh, financials world like it was in the early 2000s again i certainly wouldn't bet the farm on it and you no, know, uh, but it's good to see that the the market's become a little bit more broad-based recently. So I'll try and wrap this up, and then maybe we can uh, take some, um, some questions. Uh, I think large caps are still going to be, um, uh, they, they're just going to be a little bit more robust. They're going to be able to withstand the, the shocks. Um, they're going to have more exposure to the global upside. And, and tech still, to me, looks you know fairly, a fairly good bets. I mean, some of them are more expensive than others, but it, you know they're growth businesses. I'd say that you know stay confident that the fiscal boost will happen. It'll be messy. There'll be a lot of squabbles. There'll be a lot of people who uh, will start sort of reclaiming the fiscal probity um, uh, ground again. Um, but it, it's going to come, and it will start hitting around about uh, early twenty twenty one. So if we get the if we get the fiscal boost you know, the more uh, optimism about a, va- a vaccine, the Fed stays its hand of no reason to suggest, you know, that why, why they wouldn't. Then we get pretty strong growth coming in 2021. We just kind of got to get through that period before it starts to show up in the numbers. I think the short-term risks is, you know, how bad is the third wave? We're kind of living through it, so maybe answering our own question. I don't think there's the big shutdown where everybody's, you know, sitting at home and, and not doing anything. There's There's more kind of a managed, uh, shutdown. Um, I think the way we're managing it is sort of on a state by state, local by local level. Um, uh, I, I don't think the, uh, you know, we talked about COVID fatigue, and I think people are in no mood for a complete shutdown again. Um, so, uh, we've better be, but, but that certainly remains a risk of how, how long, how, how, um, how deep that is and how, how broad it is and how, how long it lasts through the winter. I put the election legal challenges in here just because you know I I don't know uh, I you know this might be all bluff and uh, and bluster and and uh, you know someone you know an administration which is on its way out is just sort of you know throwing a lighted gasoline torch into the house as they go out the door, or it could be something which gets a bit nastier and we start having you know more legal cases and and it ends up in the Supreme Court. I don't know uh, so. But I think that uh, the longer it kind of goes on at this level, the better. It starts sort of getting, language starts getting a bit more feisty and more aggressive, then I think the market will, you know, do what it did in 2000, which is get a little bit nervous about that. But tech regulation, you know, there's no doubt that the big guys, the five I mentioned are in, are in the regulators' uh, uh, sites right now. Um, that uh, report came out from the subcommittee, the House Judiciary Committee, subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee. Talking about, um, you know, the big five in particular uh, and various different parts of the administration have already started to move against um, Google and Apple. I mean, they're in a discovery phase right now. So we'll kind of see what happens. And, you know, my lesson from past deregulatory exercises, whether it's recent ones like, um, uh, you know, Microsoft relative recently, actually there's a much bigger one that's been going on with, um, with uh, chicken providers because I think about... 80, 78% of the country's chickens are three guys. Uh, Tyson, Purdue, I can't remember the other one. But anyway, they, 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 they were caught absolutely price fixing. I mean, it was absolutely there in memo trails and everything else. It took them six or seven years to, to you know, assign a fine against them. So my lesson from this as a bystander, is it takes an awful long time to work its way through. And these guys are a lot better uh, defended and have a lot more money to, to, to spend on defending themselves in the chicken industry. Long-term risks in you know, a labour force recovery. Uh, worry about that because of the permanent job losses, people staying in um, in employment for 27 weeks or over. That's the demarcation considered long-term unemployment. The number of people still on benefits. Uh, you know the uh, attrition um, of uh, of skills. Um, so all of these things are you know a concern that the labour market will will take a while to recover, will be opting at su- operating at suboptimal capacity. And then if we essentially get what we had in, this, in the post-GFC uh, recovery, we never really got above 2% in um, recovery. Uh, I mean, it was a little occasion, occasional quarter it was bigger than that, but essentially 2% was the number we had you know, from 2009 through till uh, first quarter of this year. It doesn't matter really what you threw at it. We were in that type of slow recovery and everything. You know, we've seen you know housing, uh, employment, a um, number of other different, indexes just took a long time to recover. And um, hopefully it's will bit, excuse me, a little bit faster just because I think the fiscal stimulus uh, will be bigger. And we've learned from the CARES Act that it's actually been quite successful. So you know, I think applied in the right direction, uh, there'll be more of a you know, kind of a, a boost behind the recovery, which would be good for us. Rates are gonna remain low for a very long time. Um, the Fed and, the, and other central banks are really much on, on full ease mode. Um, and, you know, as I said, the Fed really wants inflation at 2%, and they haven't, they're going to take a while before they get there. Um, gosh, I feel like I've, you are seeing my screen, you um, know, why that's coming up. Maybe I'll stop showing the screen You to see all my work there. Um, and if we have any uh, questions, doesn't look like we have, um, but feel free to uh, uh, either you know, call us or your financial advisor or whoever it is um, at the firm and uh, or you can just email them directly to me at seethwaites at bnjadvisors.com. And I think we're gonna throw this up uh, as a, um, the slides if you wanna have a look at them um, on a, a recorded, um, on a recorded line. So uh, thank you very much for all that. And uh, sorry to take up so much of your time, but I think we're in generally a, a, a good place. Uh, it might be a little bit rocky for, for a, a few more weeks. I am going to uh, read the disclaimer. And um, here we go. Discussions of the investment, investment strategy, research investment process, Brandon Nikoski. As of the date indicator, as of the date of this presentation, subject change without notice, charts illustrated throughout this presentation may be updated periodically. We have no obligation to provide revised assessments in the event of change circumstances, we cannot show the type of investments mentioned in this presentation will produce the intended results or outperform any investments in the future. We reserve the right to change our investment perspective and outlook without notice as market duties dictate and additional information becomes available. Diversification does not protect an investor from market risk, does not ensure a profit. The information is subject to unintentional errors, uh, emissions and change without notice. All sources are from facts. Let us otherwise notice. Let's noted otherwise. Where well, we gather this information from sources we believe to be reliable, cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data in this presentation. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities noted this presentation any several of successful and unsuccessful investments by Brown Janikowski. Do not represent all the securities we have purchased or so recommended. Net in returns include reinvested dividends and interest but do not reflect commissions or transaction costs. Mutual fund returns include reinvested dividends, capital gains, distributions, mutual funds are net of the funds expenses. They do not reflect Brown and these fees. Please read the prospectus carefully before investing or sending money, past forms, no guarantee of future results. We may reference various hypothetical investment illustrations, these are for illustration purposes only, not investment recommendations, do not guarantee indication of future results.